if you were to talk to that person out there that is in that category of, I just don't know that I care about Book of Mormon geography, what's a 30-second elevator pitch to start caring? Well, we would invite them to open up the scriptures and try out some of these tools we've created. Give it a shot and see what happens when you experience the scriptures in a new way. Yeah, we're, we're saying if you don't change anything, nothing, nothing's going to change. And so if, if we believe in a line upon line, precept upon precept, and the Lord will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom, not just to the kingdom, but to us individually, we'd say, give it a shot. It, it, this could be the next line. This could be that next precept for you, that next line, to take your scripture study to a deeper level of appreciation and gratitude and, and finding more principles than you found before. Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast where we explore aspects of LDS doctrine, history, and culture. Digging deeper and having a whole lot of fun. Learning about things that affect our lives and our faith. We are everyday Mormons sharing extraordinary conversations. Hello and welcome to this episode of LDS Perspectives Podcast. My name is Nick Galetti and I'll be hosting this episode. Our guests on this one, we have two, is Taylor Halverson and Tyler Griffin. Taylor Halverson is a BYU teaching and learning consultant. He is also a member of the Book of Mormon Central Executive Committee and co-founder and co-director of the BYU Virtual Scriptures Group. Tyler Griffin is an associate professor of ancient scripture at BYU. He is a co-founder and co-director of the BYU Virtual Scriptures Group. His research interests include finding ways to make the scriptures more relevant and meaningful for students, using technology to deepen learning, and improve teacher training. So welcome you two. Thank you very much for coming in and talking to us. Thank you. Um, so both of you are active in Book of Mormon research, but also in the distribution of that research. So Taylor, you're with Book of Mormon Central, and you both are working on this virtual scriptures group. Starting with Taylor, what are some of the challenges that you're facing with distributing scholarship to an LDS mass audience about the Book of Mormon? Uh, the first is probably awareness. If we're talking about Book of Mormon Central, we are a young organization, just barely over a year old officially. So mostly it's a, a challenge of raising awareness of what is available. And there is an ongoing opportunity for how do you shape updated explanations about existing scholarship. Most people aren't going to go want to read a long book or lots of scholarship, but they're happy to get a nice engaging summary of a couple of pages and so Book of Mormon Central, we spend quite a bit of time thinking about what are the driving questions that are interesting to people and how do we communicate that in a compelling way that actually matters to their lives today? Not just, oh, here's something that's intellectually interesting, but here's something that matters to your personal life. What about you, Tyler? I think the similar vein to this, just awareness for our students, what I found is that there is so much information out there. So this is the other extreme. There are so many resources and so many things that you can turn to to find answers that they often struggle with information overload, and so consequently... It's just too much. It's too much. It's overwhelming. It's a flood. And so what Taylor and I are trying to do with others at BYU is, and it's, a, it's the same model with Book of Mormon Central that he described, which is take the stuff that's going to be the most beneficial that will help bring the scriptures to life in a way that is historically accurate, that's as true as we can be to the text, but also that is this relevant and meaningful and applicable to the modern reader, and put those tools in the hands of the students so that they can 
feel more confidence when they open up the scriptures. They don't need to feel so dumb or so confused. They can say, okay, I get this. I can visualize this. I can picture this. Yes. Just make it accessible. And relevant. And relevant. Now, keeping Book of Mormon research relevant is its own subject, but there's also kind of a, a subheading to that, and that is not just the doctrines, the teachings, but the scholarship regarding Book of Mormon geography is kind of this subsection, if you will, of studying the Book of Mormon. Why don't you tell us about what you're doing with this group and and something that we might be able to consume publicly that's out right now? Perfect. The beginning part of this five years ago, six years ago, when I first came to BYU, you come to certain sections in the Book of Mormon. I'm I'm always looking for what are the pain points? What are the areas that students zone out, give up, skip, disregard, what are those areas? And it turns out they're pretty predictable. You've got the Isaiah chapters. (laughs) You've got long sections about the house of Israel and the scattering and the gathering, which largely is Isaiah and Zenos and stuff like that. So that's a totally different project. But the other place that we notice that students zone out a lot is when it starts getting very specific in movements of people. For some people, it's the war chapters. Others, it's these multiple migrations in the book of Omni and and then the follow-up in Words of Mormon. And then throughout the book of Mosiah, you've got the different groups going different places at different times and the flashbacks. And students become so confused. This rising generation, they don't like feeling stupid. They don't like feeling ignorant. That's pretty universal, though. It is. It is. But because of the information age and the information at their fingertips so much and the fact that here they're reading this book written in King James English, it's very frustrating when they get so wrapped around, wait a minute, who's who, where's where, when did this happen, and why are we now going back in time? So consequently, they will disengage from their serious study of the Book of Mormon and if they have to for points, they'll, they'll let their eyes scan over the blackboards on the white page to say, yeah, I read these chapters, but they didn't really engage those chapters. So what the, the virtual scriptures group at BYU is trying to do is say, let's reduce those pain points for them. There's no royal road to learning. We can't do this for them, but we can make their road to learning a little less bumpy and a little more exciting and a little more real and relevant. So what we've tried to do is to say, Let's us go to the hard work of digging out these geographical references in the Book of Mormon and try to make sense of them in an internal relative map that's interactive so that they can kind of see spatial reference points and say, oh, okay, this is a three-day journey for Alma northward from here. And all of a sudden, you'll find that when you throw the map up on the screen when going through the war chapters or going through the Book of Mosiah or through certain passages in Helaman, all of a sudden the students love it. They're engaged. They're in their scriptures. We're not trying to get students out of the scriptures. We're trying to actually get them deeper in the scriptures with these external resources. And so the interactive map or Mormon's cave with the plates, the various source materials that Mormon used to tie into the Book of Omni and the Words of Mormon and throughout, all of those resources, all they're doing is helping to remove the confusion, to increase confidence in the students, to give them a frame of reference so that when they go into the text, now they don't disengage, but they don't hyper-focus on the geography. It becomes what I think Mormon intended it to be, which is this beautiful overlay, this supplement to then help them focus on the teachings and doctrine of the Book of Mormon and help bring souls to Christ, basically. Help them focus on what really matters most in the book. Yeah. Well, in the past, 
we've had certain maps and sure. we've had paintings that people have made to try and make these things more real. You're talking about taking a tablet. That's correct. And you have an app that makes it where you literally can kind of almost fly through That's right. some of these scenes. The rising generation, they don't like being told what to do as much as previous generations. They don't like a talking head. They prefer to get the, the video game console into their hand, so to speak. They want an experience and they want to go exploring and they want to figure it out. And so that's basically what we're doing is giving them the controls to say, here's the Book of Mormon. You can pick whatever chapter you want. Go explore, fly through the interactive map. Look at these things. Try to make sense of them. Well, as you do say, there's so much content that Mormon and Moroni had in the Book of Mormon that speak to geographic locations. And so it's not an overstatement to say that it matters, that Book of Mormon geography matters. Yes. It's clearly in there for a reason. However, there is a lot of confusion that people have. There is a very wide spectrum of interest in Book of Mormon geography. What is and what isn't important about Book of Mormon geography in general? I think the issue here is it's a swinging of a pendulum. So for some people, they get so excited about the geography in the Book of Mormon and trying to nail it down to a specific location on the map today, which is interesting because the church has a very official stance. We don't put a pin in the map as a church and as BYU, we don't put an X on the map and say, here's Zarahemla, here's Bountiful, here's Nephi. It's a totally neutral position to say, the Lord hasn't revealed this yet. He could have made it very easy, but he didn't. And so some people, we feel, swing the pendulum so far to the side of, I'm going to figure out where this took place on the external map, that it's almost as if every time they open the Book of Mormon to read it or to study it, they're looking for validation or verification or proof for their external geographical model, wherever it may be. And they're all over the map, all over the world, in fact. Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Africa, uh, Mesoamerica, South America, yeah. Baja, heartland of America, North America in general, meaning it's all over the place. And we're not opposed to people getting excited about that kind of thing. That's just not what we're interested in because we found that sometimes it's easy. No, not everybody's done this, but it's easy to swing that pendulum so far that all you see in the Book of Mormon is proof for your external model, which we feel takes away from the message of the book and its stated purposes on the title page. The other extreme end of that pendulum would be to say, I just don't care at all about geography, and I'm going to totally skip every time anything gets mentioned. I'm going to zone out if he starts talking about migrations and movements and, and war campaigns and all of that. I just don't care. Well, that extreme will lead people to opening the book and now missing out on a great deal of the principles and the, and the doctrines that are contained within those narratives that are semi-reliant on the geography that Mormon or Moroni mentioned within that part of the story. So we're trying to avoid both of those extremes and say, let's remove some of the cognitive load associated with making sense of this, because it is complicated. These stories are scattered throughout 531 pages, and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. We're on version, map version, what, 39 right now. It's a lot of hours, and we're trying to do that so people don't have to go to that effort to say, here are the relative distances. Now focus on the doctrine. Yeah. One of the things that I think I've encountered, because I, before coming and doing this interview, I talked to my wife and said, what questions would you have about Book of Mormon geography? 
And her response was kind of a shoulder shrug of, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that people have much of a starting point, which might be part of the apathy, but what's a good starting point for someone who needs to even get to that hump of caring about Book of Mormon geography? Let me use an, an analogy. It would be like reading an epic novel along the lines of, say, a C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia or a Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. If you read those kinds of books or those kinds of stories without some sort of a map, some sort of a reference point, then you miss out on a great deal of the story that's going along because the author, the person who's telling you this story, he has that map in his head. It's important to him as he's showing you movements and interactions between different locations. It's important to him. So I would say a starting point would be let the Book of Mormon speak for itself. Let's not superimpose anything externally onto the book. Let's just let the book be itself. And so for starters, it would be as you read through the book, just have this map off to the side and just glance. When he mentions a location, just glance and locate on the map and then keep reading the story and don't overemphasize it, don't overfocus on it, but just keep reading and next time he mentions the location, glance. And after doing that a few times, a person will realize that maybe for them, they really don't need the map. Maybe the visual spatial stuff isn't working for them at all, and that's totally okay. But most people will find that the map enhances their study and enhances their engagement level with the text and their excitement to read on because it becomes more real. These are real people. This is not a Tolkien Lord of the Rings or a Chronicles of Narnia allegory. These are real people in a real location with real struggles and real lives. And then it becomes more relatable to our life when we can see the hand of God in their lives in a real location. And we should point out that the internal map that we've developed at BYU with the Virtual Scriptures Group is freely available. It's at the website bom.byu.edu. Again, that's bom.byu.edu. And anyone can go freely download it and do the very things Tyler's talking about, have it open while they're reading their scriptures. And if they find it useful, we've achieved our objective. If not, we'd be happy to get feedback on how to make it better. That, that's the neat thing about what we're doing is this is not carved in stone. It's dynamic. If somebody finds something in their reading that says, oh my goodness, this location can't be there where they've got on the map, give us feedback. We can make version 40. <laughs> and probably will, right? And probably yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. When talking about Book of Mormon geography, again, we're dealing with a really broad set of people coming from different perspectives on what's relevant, what's not relevant, and those sorts of things. And I came across a, a quote in the introduction to Thomas Stewart Ferguson's book, Camorra Ware. There's a fear in doing Book of Mormon geography or research of this type where you would take a consistent book and make it appear to be inconsistent with itself. He also kind of says that sometimes we can add to this cloud of confusion that people might have. Did you guys go into this project worried at all about adding to the confusion? Nope. We actually thought that we'd provide a lot of clarity because Tyler and I can sit over lunch and be really excited about external geography maps. We actually really like geography and interested in the different evidences. At the end of the day, we care more about people's engagement with the gospel as found in the pages of Book of Mormon and how an internal map can solidify that. And we believe that our approach will help avoid confusion. 
because when people spend too much time trying to promote any particular geographical theory, they may miss the purpose of the Book of Mormon. And that's where the confusion sets in, I believe. So what are some specific places in the Book of Mormon, or I guess the geography of the Book of Mormon, where you have found this internal map to be most helpful? The simple answer would be your major movements that involve either migrations, missionary journeys, or war campaigns. For instance, the Book of Omni, where you get the people of King Mosiah the first leaving the land of Nephi and going down, which is north, to the land of Zarahemla and running across the people of Mulek and setting up Zarahemla. That's significant for, for people to see. That's the first major place. Nephi didn't care much about geography, and he told us that. He says, I'm not going to write anything about the, the external stuff. I'm just talking about the things of my soul. So we get very little geography in First and Second Nephi. It really starts to pick up in Omni and then mostly with Mormon. The Book of Mosiah starts with King Benjamin, and next thing you know, you've got this flashback to about 200 BC with Zenith taking the group back up to the land of Nephi. And then the whole central part of the Book of Mosiah is Zenith, then Noah, then Limhi, and then Alma breaking off, and the different groups then getting out of bondage and going back to Zarahemla. That can be so confusing for students. But in our app, you have the map, you have the chapters, you have the dates, and you have the major people. And it's all triangulated, so as they walk through, they can see what's happening with the timeline, what's happening on the map, where it took place, and who's involved in what the major events were. And all of a sudden, they say, oh, okay, so this is a flashback. Or, again, in the Book of Alma, it's probably the most helpful because you've got all the missionary journeys of Alma in the beginning part, and then Alma and Amulek and others in the, in the middle part, and then the war chapters, there it really shines because people can visualize the different campaigns as they're mentioned by Mormon, who is a military leader, quoting Captain Moroni, the military leader. It's, geography is a big deal to a war captain. Sure. Well, you don't get to be a very successful war captain if you cannot master the geography. Geography will make or break your wars. It's interesting, this project gave me some new insights I'd never seen before. We have the missionary journeys of Alma and his brethren going... There's the land of Antionum. And the way this got mapped out is Tyler was demonstrating on the map, he's like, notice that the Zoramites in this peripheral land, kind of in between the Nephites and the Lamanites, and they're over on the eastern flank. Southeast. The corner. southeast corner. And if the Zoramites politically join with the Lamanites, the Nephites are now exposed to military invasion. So it's very interesting as you look at where Alma's going and spending time, it's not just a spiritual move on his part to go preach to the Zoramites. He's trying to protect the physical safety of his people in the Nephite homeland from the potential of the Zoramites turncoating to the Lamanites. If you don't have physical safety, spiritual safety can be very difficult. And so Alma's this brilliant tactician from a military standpoint and an inspired prophet. It's just really fun to see that on the map. I'd read all about all this stuff, and suddenly there's this new insight about potentially why Alma's choosing that particular mission. So there's a very pragmatic aspect to this, that once these people become more three-dimensional, once we see that there was movement and proximity to these things, we can have a better understanding of what motivated them and maybe why they said some of the things they said. For that matter, why Mormon and Moroni put that stuff in there. Right. Absolutely. And I would just say, tacking onto that, that an interesting side note here for somebody who may be listening thinking, yeah, this is all fine and good, but I really, at the end of the day, what difference does any of this make? For some people, 
there's a bigger picture perspective here that you've got roughly, depending on how you parse it out, you've got over 550 references to geography in the book, and it's scattered through multiple stories over 531 pages. And there's this overarching thread that says there are people out there who claim that Joseph Smith just made up the book. If that claim is true, then Joseph Smith was an absolute genius because the geography references are consistent across all these stories, across all this time, and according to the witnesses of the translation process, none of them have any reference to Joseph having charts, maps, books, reference materials. He's just going. So this guy is either translating this book by the gift and power of God, or he's an absolute genius, the likes of which I've never come across. Well, and I've, I've heard one person say something to the effect that if Joseph had made the book up, he would have known where it took place. He would have said it. He would have said, oh, it took place here. But he never did, right? He made stabs at, he guessed, he was researching geography himself. I mean, there's a model for research right there, there right? You go. That, that Joseph Smith himself was interested in where the book he translated took place. Yep. That's pretty incredible. And it's interesting because then the question goes beyond geography to other things like, if Joseph's making this up, that's really, really peculiar that in 531 pages, Joseph wouldn't have included anything that speaks of the Native American culture that Joseph Smith would have been familiar with in upstate New York in the early 19th century. There are no teepees in the book. There are no moccasins. There are no powwows. There are no rendezvous. There are no trading posts. There's no how. There's no, there's nothing that's war so bonnets. war bonnets and feathers. There's none of this. The League of Five Nations. The, the stuff the that would just scream if you're, if you're Joseph Smith saying, I need to make up a book about the Native American ancestors. Well, boy, our 23-year-old farm boy did a great job of keeping out everything that's associated with Native Americans as he would have known it out of his book. And even other things like here he is Joseph Smith Jr., his dad's Joseph Smith, and the Book of Mormon is loaded with father-son couplets having the same name, and not a single time do we get a junior, not once in the entire Book of Mormon. He never uses the word junior. Alma the younger, Alma the elder. Yeah. Well, how come it's not Alma senior and Alma junior? Yeah. Anyway. That's Joseph Smith writing it. It's a great insight. As you've talked with your students over the years, have you seen anything change over time with respect to students' interest in or maybe demand for some knowledge regarding geography? It's interesting how in the 50s and 60s, uh, you had the New World Archaeological Foundation. There was more of an interest in, in Book of Mormon geography, openly and officially. In fact, we even had a BYU president. Was it Brimhall back about 100 years ago? Led a group of 30 people down to Mexico to try to find Zarahemla. And I think what's happened over time is that those efforts, which are really pretty amazing from a scholarly standpoint, right? This is pushing forward knowledge and understanding that I think the church and BYU came to realize that it was a bit of a distraction from the core element of the Book of Mormon to this point that you don't really have a lot of scholars who make it their career to do Book of Mormon geography. I could tell you a handful of scholars that are involved in Book of Mormon geography, but it's almost like a side project for them. Whereas 50, 60, 70 years ago, you had people who that was what their career was about, is I'm going to find the right answers to Book of Mormon geography. And the external models, again, I think there's so much that we don't know. It's just a very big question. It's a big research project. And I don't expect us to have clarity on it anytime soon. I'm okay with that. It's a 
fun scientific enterprise to be engaged in, but I don't see this, that there's a big demand among students clamoring for some kind of clarity around where did it happen? I mean, sure, people ask the question, but I don't see a demand of, well, if you can't show me where it happens, I'm just done. I refuse to even open the book. I just haven't seen that. Mm. And that's one of the beauties of an internal map. And I tell students, I say, you know, you, you may feel really strongly about one particular external model over another one. That's fine. You can take this internal map and you can squeeze, you can twist, you can contort, you can adjust. But relatively speaking, these are the six cities that have to be on the eastern seacoast. That's what it said. He's very clear about that. These are the ones that are on the west. There's a narrow strip of wilderness. You know, the, these kinds of things. They have to wrestle with that. But the major change that I've seen over these years is because of the students, it seems to have driven the scholarship. These students are much more interested in hands-on experiences, in visual spatial experiences, because this is the digital video game generation. They're digital natives. So the previous generation, our generation, we didn't have as much of a problem sitting down with a book and reading black words on a white page and really wrestling with and connecting with it. Students today, they still do that, but not to the same degree of tolerance that previous generations did. So for us, it's the second Nephi 31 verse 3 principle, where Nephi said, For my soul delighteth in plainness, for after this manner does the Lord God work among the children of men. For the Lord God giveth light unto the understanding, for he speaketh unto men according to their language, unto their understanding. And the rising generation, their language and understanding is slightly modified from ours. And instead of being upset about that or complaining about it or force-fitting them into our language and understanding, what we're trying to do is say, let's put some things into your hand that will speak to you, that you'll understand, so that you can now, with excitement, go into those black words on the white page. As far as your work moving forward in this, I know that you guys have an app that is for Jerusalem, New Testament kind of centric, and you are doing this map or have done this map for the Book of Mormon. What other maps are you guys working on? What other geography-based things are you using? Well, there's a lot to be done with both of those. Our grand vision, if you talk about the Bible for a minute, is we would love to raise funds to uh, rebuild the ancient Mediterranean, ancient Middle East, virtually, that you could go insert yourself into any location at any time period and go experience the past and see how it connects to scriptures. Now, I'm guessing we'll probably be dead before that happens. <laughs> Although, if we could pull it off before we're dead, that'd be really a lot mm, of fun. That'd be great. So, we just currently have, so we just recently signed a license agreement with the church to help uh, release a product we'd help them to build over five years the 3D Interactive Jerusalem Project. Right now, it's just Jerusalem, but we have plans to expand to Bethany and to Bethlehem and down to Jericho, and all to the way the up Galilee. to Galilee and Rome and Ephesus. We actually have quite a big plan, but it also just takes a lot of time and resources. Yeah, and this is different than a movie, right? Because you're completely immersed in it. You're talking about recreating history, which means that there has to be some interpretation on those things. How do you mitigate the challenges and risks of putting forward your version of whatever geography it is and not have it come across as too interpretive. Interpretation will happen no matter what. And without a guide, people will invent in their own brains what they think it is. I grew up in the church, went to seminary, had all sorts of ideas about what the Bible was like, what the Holy Land was like, and I spent a semester there at the BYU Jerusalem Center, and I had to give up almost, I actually can't think of an idea I had about the Bible that I was able to retain visually. Oh, 
that significant? Because I didn't know. I was a kid growing up in Minnesota, as if there's any connection between Minnesota and the Holy <laughs> Land. And so, sure, there's interpretation, but I would rather give people an informed interpretation. Is it perfect? No. Versus just their own... Just some random... Yeah. So, so we're not completely without resource there. The archaeological field is pretty good in the Holy Land, especially. There are some really key notes and site data that we can use to try to make the buildings and the, the types of construction materials and the, and the look and the feel of decoration kinds of things. There's a lot of information both archaeologically and then also historical documents. You know, you've got Josephus, you've got all of the, the Mishnaic writings and letters and things from antiquity to draw upon to help us so that we're not forcing a 21st century interpretation back on the first century but to try as much as possible to let those people tell their own story. Yeah. But again, like Taylor said, you're never going to get perfect because even a journal entry can have errors in it. Yeah. Well, to kind of sum up, why don't you guys give us, again, some websites that we can go to to find your data? So you've got virtualscriptures.byu.edu is kind of the overarching site. If you want New Testament-specific apps and tools and resources, you would go to nt for New Testament.byu.edu. Taylor already gave you the Book of Mormon site, bom.byu.edu. And if you go to the App Store, you can download the 3D Jerusalem app onto an iPhone or an iPad. If you search for the app called Virtual New Testament, you'll find it. Okay. And it's free. I'll throw out another product out there that I created with Steve Little, information systems professor at BYU. It's also free. And what we've done is we have tagged every geographical reference in the Old and New Testament to Google Maps. So you can read with a scripture pane on the left-hand side and the Google map on the right-hand side with red dots with all the places mapped out. And what's how do people find that? Go to scriptures.byu.edu forward slash map script. No T at the end of that. Oh, okay. Scriptures.byu.edu forward slash map script. It's free and it's a lot of fun. You can go read Isaiah chapter by chapter and see all the places that got cursed, right? If that's, <laughs> if you're into that mode, like it's Halloween, you want to see where all the curses happen in Isaiah? <laughs> How about it? Gather around, kids. Family scripture time. <laughs> see where people got cursed. Fantastic. Well, that's a lot of links. And so what we'll do is we will take that and we will put all the links next to or with the entry for this episode at ldsperspectives.com. We encourage, of course, people to take a look at those things and to download those apps. Any parting words, if you could, if you were to talk to that person out there that is in that category of, I just don't know that I care about Book of Mormon geography. What's a 30-second elevator pitch to start caring. Well, we would invite them to open up the scriptures and try out some of these tools we've created. Give it a shot and see what happens when you experience the scriptures in a new way. We're saying if you don't change anything, nothing's going to change. And so if we believe in a line upon line, precept upon precept, and the Lord will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom, not just to the kingdom, but to us individually, we'd say, give it a shot. This could be the next line. This could be that next precept for you, that next line, to take your scripture study to a deeper level of appreciation and gratitude and finding more principles than you found before. Well, again, Taylor Halverson and Tyler Griffin are co-directors of the BYU Virtual Scriptures Group. 
And so we want to encourage you guys to go check out those links. And uh, thank you both for coming in and talking about it. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Nick. LDS Perspectives Podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the guest and podcaster alone. An LDS Perspectives Podcast and its parent organization may or may not agree with them. While the ideas presented may vary from traditional understandings or teachings, they in no way reflect criticism of LDS church leaders, policies, or practices.